But we're going to be looking at this second epistle. It's probably the most difficult of his epistles to read and to understand what's going on. And so we're going to take a look at it here for the next few weeks. We hope that you will uh, glean some things out of this. So we're actually going to be in this for about maybe five, five and a half months. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians today. We're looking at chapter 1. And I want you to notice, first of all, with me, uh, verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, and to all the saints who are in all Acadia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the heading of the letter. So a couple things I want you to notice here. First of all, let's talk about the writer. The writer identifies himself as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Now, let me just, let's make a little note here. I want you, everybody look at your verse 1 there. What, what, what stands out to you as Paul describes, as he addresses himself here? Anybody? What stands out to you? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. What, what stands out to you when you see Paul's description of himself here? Anyone? Okay, he's in fellowship with God. That's good. Anything else? Look at how he describes himself. Well, he describes as, as a second effect. He says, I am an apostle, he says. But how does he, does he start off saying, the most high reverent Paul, or the apostle Paul, Reverend Paul? Does he, does he start off with any of those titles? Does anybody notice that? Here's the point I want you to make is, is that I want you to see here that, you know, oftentimes we will put a big emphasis on titles in our Christian circles. But when you read the epistles of the scripture, the very men who were the apostles, can't think of any higher position in the church than the apostles. When they addressed themselves, how did they address themselves as? Their own names. You understand? Because to them, who is the Lord of the church? Jesus is. So they address themselves as, he identifies himself as Paul, and he identifies himself then as an apostle, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, next thing I want you to notice is this. Paul points out that he was an apostle by the will of God. Why he was an apostle was by the will of God. Now, does everyone remember the story about that? Remember, what was Paul's chief job before becoming a Christian? Uh, I heard different things. Deanna, what did you say? Slain the Christians? I heard, what was the mumbling up here? Murdered Christians? He was a persecutor. He was a Jewish zealot for the Pharisee. And very much active in seeking out Christians and destroying the Christian way. Now, was at that time when he was doing those things, was he thinking about wanting to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? What happened to him? Anybody remember what happened to him? He was on his way to Damascus, what? For a Sunday school picnic. Yeah, to go arrest and kill some more Christians. And what happened to him on the road? Yeah, Christ appeared to him. Okay, just if you need to go back to the book of Acts. Christ appeared to him 
And I mean, he and basically said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's at that point that Paul has a life-changing experience, and it's at that point that he's really called to be an apostle. So when Paul says this, he says that he is was an apostle by the will of God. It's not something that he was looking for. It was something that he was thrust into. You understand? It, he was thrust into it by God Himself. Then I want you to also notice that he also says that Timothy is his companion. Verse 1, and Timothy our brother. That's his companion. So Timothy is his companion as he's writing them. Now, he is addressing this letter to someone, and so we'll notice that in verse the latter part of verse 1. The letter is addressed to the church or assembly at Corinth. And let's just make a special note here. Notice I use the word church or assembly. When we talk about a church, what are we talking about? Anybody? What are we talking about when we talk about a church? Yeah, people. Are we talking about brick and mortar or wood and siding? We're talking about, see, it's, it's, the, the Greek word is ekklesia or assembly, from which we get the term church. And what we're talking about is assembly of believers. So what makes Kerwinsville Christian Church is not the facility. It's not even the incorporated entity with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What makes Kerwinsville Christian Church is the people in it. The people in it. So, for instance, let's say something tragic and terrible happens to the U.S. and all our political structure is done away with and everything, and who knows what the situation will be, natural disasters, whatever. Even if the building did not exist anymore, does that mean the end of Kermansville Christian Church? It shouldn't. No, it shouldn't mean it. It should mean that somehow the believers within Kermansville Christian Church are still going to what? Assemble together somewhere, somehow. Do you understand? Because it's not the facility, it's the people. So Paul is addressing his letter to the church or assembly in Corinth. He's also The letter is also addressed to the saints in Acadia. Now, when we talk about saints, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about St. Bartholomew or uh, St. this guy or another or you know, the, the, you know, the few little saints that uh, we, 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 you know, they have their statues and everything. Are we talking about those kind of saints? Yeah, we're talking about Christians because a saint is actually a holy one or a separated one. Now, who is that describing? You. I didn't think I was holy. Yeah, well, you are. You're holy not because of you, but because of who? Jesus. You're a separated one. You know, your spouse may be saying, I don't think he's holy. Well, it has nothing to do with whether you think he's holy or not. It has to do with the fact that Jesus has made him holy by the blood of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's addressing the saints in Acadia. Now, I think it's very significant, you know, in the first letter of Corinthians, when you think about all the problems the Corinthian church had, all of the different sin issues that they were struggling with, Paul refers to them as saints. See, this is a wonderful concept I want you to understand is you could be really dealing with some issues in your life and as far as you know, you maybe aren't where you should be in your relationship with Christ, but you know you have trusted in Christ and you're looking for Christ to help you to overcome some things. The wonderful thing is is that God doesn't see you based upon you. He sees you based upon what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus has made you holy. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And, and that's, that's the concept throughout the scripture. You are a saint. 
you are a saint. Whether you realize that or not, you are a saint. So then he gives a salutation. And the salutation, Paul gives the standard greeting of grace and peace. Verse 2 is a standard greeting. If you read any of his epistles, you'll see this greeting everywhere. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace is that concept that was from the Gentiles. A greeting of grace. Peace or shalom, which is the greeting that most uh, Jews would greet one another with, is shalom or peace. And so you see the combination of the two, grace and peace, which comes from Christ. And so he gives them the standard greeting. Now, the rest of our time, we're going to focus on verses 3 through 11, which is Paul's thanksgiving for God's comfort. So let's look at verse 3 through 11, and this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now we are afflicted. It is for, our, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering, which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, for our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so we were despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that we still, he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Okay, so let's look at this prayer of thanksgiving here and talk about several things. First of all, verses 3 through 7, we're going to see the issue of God's comfort in our lives. So in verse 3, Paul praises, gives praise for the comforter. First of all, he praises God for Jesus. Paul's first initial praise, blessed be the God and Father of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So his first praise is basically praising God for Jesus. Now, Really, that should be any of our praises, shouldn't it? We should thank God for who? Jesus. Why? Because if it wasn't for Jesus, what would be going on in our lives? If it wasn't for Jesus, what would, where would we be? Headed where? To hell. Would we have any chance? No, we had no chance whatsoever. I mean, we were, we were completely separated from God. We had no part in the promise. We weren't part of the chosen people unless you have a little bit of Jewish blood in you. And I doubt that some of you do. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is the whole reason why you have a hope. And so Paul immediately starts off praising God for Jesus. The next thing he does is he praises God for his mercy. Verse 3. The Father of mercies. He praises God for his mercy. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing too? Because you're not just dealing with a God who says, okay, well, 
This is sometimes we have this concept of God where we think God, okay, I know I should do something. Okay, Jesus, you go and pay the price, but I really don't care for those people. Okay, well, you've paid the price now, Jesus, but I'm going to zap them the next time they do wrong. Does he do that? No. How is he towards us? Because we do still do wrong. Yeah, he's merciful. Hey, let me just stop for a moment. You ever, you ever met somebody, and I've, I was just thinking about somebody here in the last couple of weeks, and immediately your response is, is God, why do you let that joker live? Why don't you just deal with that person? God, don't you understand the destruction this person's doing in somebody's life? Why, why, why don't you just deal with this individual? You ever had those kind of feelings? Be honest. Yes. Can I tell you why? He's the God of mercy. And if he wasn't consistent in his mercy showing to everyone, what chance would you have? Let's say he did zap that person and wasn't merciful to them. Let's say you mess up. Would you want him to show mercy to you? Or would you want him to treat you the same way that you wanted that other person treated? Which would you rather have? Mercy. When it's us, we want mercy, isn't it? If it's somebody else, we want justice. But Paul says, thanks be to God for his mercies. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because, I mean, the reality is is that we none of us deserve mercy, do we? So he praises God for his mercy. Not just for his mercy now. He praises God for his comfort. He praises God for his comfort. He calls him the God of all comfort. Now notice the word all there. All comfort. Not just half comfort. Not just a little bit of comfort. But God's all comfort. Because, like for instance, I've been with folks, you've been with folks that may be going through a crisis, maybe they've lost a loved one, maybe they're going through some health issues, and you're there to comfort them, and your presence brings a little bit of comfort, but reality is, is it can't bring all comfort, can it? Because I'm not knowing what's going on inside that person's mind, I don't know what's going on in their heart, I don't know the depth of their pain, I don't know the depth of their hurt. I don't know their emotions at the moment. I don't know the roller coaster ride of the emotions that they're on. I don't know the depth of anger, the depth of pain, the depth of hurt. I don't know any of that. I just know a little bit what I see on the outside that they reveal. But I don't know that. But God, He sees what? Everything. He knows everything. He knows exactly where those people are at. And so, is there someone who can bring comfort? He can. He knows exactly where to minister the comfort to. And he says, Blessed be God, the God of all comfort. Isn't that an awesome thought? He praises God for his comfort. You know, can I be honest with you? As you're going through it, let me just stop for a moment, because I know this happens. You are going through something. You are feeling pain. You are hurt. You are wondering. And your emotions are up and down. And... You're grieving, and, and, and it's just a pain there. And you don't know where to turn to. You try to turn to other people. Maybe you try to turn to your spouse. Maybe you try to turn to your kids. Maybe you try to turn to your parents, to your friends. And nobody, nobody can bring the comfort in your life that you're looking for. It's right there before you. God is the one who can bring you the comfort. You've got to go to Him. And you say, well, that's pretty obvious, George. Why would you even mention that? Why would you even say that you need to go to God? Because 
I've been around a while now, and you'd be surprised. God's the last person we think about. And going and bearing our soul to him is the last thing we want to do. But we need to remember what Paul says about God. He is what? The God of all comfort. And he praises God for his comfort. You know what? You're seeking comfort and, and, and healing in the wrong places. The only place you're going to find it is with who? Who's it with? Edgar? He might satisfy your vengeance, but you, you pay for that too. You know, it's really, it's really an issue that you can only be found with God. So then verse 4 now, notice verse 4, who comforts us in, in all our tribulations. Now, here's what he does. He's the God of all comfort, and so Paul says, God extends comfort in the midst of our tribulations. Let me just talk a little bit about that word tribulation. Tribulation is translated as such. It can mean troubles. goes a little bit deeper. Tribulations can mean anguish. Tribulations can mean distress. So we're not just talking about a little wee problem here. God, the God of all comfort, and notice what it says, who comforts us. So it's not like who could comfort you. Paul says, who what? Comforts us. See, whether you realize it or not, whether you are seeking his comfort or not, God is there comforting you. He's proactive in his relationship with you. Isn't that an awesome thought? Even when you don't even know how, even when you get to the place you can't even emotionally speak anymore, God is there comforting you. And you just got to rest in Him. You just have to rest in Him. And notice now, verse 4 also tells us the purpose of His comfort. Notice what verse 4 says. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So here's the next point. Comfort is not solely intended for the recipient. That's what Paul's saying. The God of all comfort who comforts us in the midst of our tribulation so that we, what? May be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Why does God give us comfort? So that you just feel good and so that you get through your crisis and that's the end of it? No. He gives you comfort so that when others go through it, then you are able to what? Give comfort. Do you understand? See, Christianity is not an individual... I mean, it's an individual decision, but when you enter into a relationship with Christ, you enter into a relationship with others. And whether you realize it or not, you were created to be a relational being. And you need each other. And so, in the midst of the assembly, that is, the midst of the church of people here, you know, as God comforts me through the stuff that I go through, I then am able to comfort you through what? The stuff you go through. And really, I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to be there for you as you go through it, because as I go through it. And you're supposed to be there for each other as you go through it, as you watch others go through it too. I'll never forget. I'll remember I was, we were doing small groups in our church in Canada. I like small groups. One of the reasons I like small groups is for this very reason. And we had a group meeting in my home. And I remember somebody sharing a struggle that they were going through. And it was a big step for them to share their struggle because when you share a struggle, you make yourself vulnerable. Nobody likes to be vulnerable, do we? How many of you like to be vulnerable? Like wearing a big target that says, hit me right here. How many of you like that? 
Well, this person made themselves vulnerable in this small group. And what happened was amazing. It was a God thing. As soon as they got done sharing, as soon as they made themselves vulnerable, I didn't know what to say, but somebody else in the group said, I went through the same thing. This is how God brought me through it. Then another person spoke up and said, yeah, I went through the same thing too. I can relate to how you're feeling. And another person spoke up. And and pretty soon, everybody was communicating to the person who first shared, you're not alone. See, that's the lie of the enemy. The enemy wants you to think that you're the only one going through what you're going through. And see, the God of all comfort brings comfort to you so that you can bring comfort to others because we're in it together. We're in it together. And so that's the purpose of comfort. The purpose of comfort is not just for you to soak in, make you feel good. No, it is there for that. But it's also for you to be there for others. And I'll be honest with you, there's a greater feeling when you're there for someone else and you've been with them through their their difficulties. You understand? Because God has comforted you. And see, listen, I'll be honest with you. So, can I be honest with you? What's the implication of this? What is the practical lesson of this for us here? And then we'll move on. The practical lesson is this. I can almost guarantee you that all of you have gone through some sort of stuff. Right? Some sort of pain. Some sort of loss. All of you have experienced something. You know what? And if we were to put all of our experiences together, it would be quite traumatic, wouldn't it? God brought us through those things, didn't He? And then as we as a body look around and as we see people who are hurting and going through things, what's the responsibility? To comfort them as we've been comforted. You see the point? See, that's, that's the purpose of God's comfort. See, listen, when God does something, He's not selfish. He doesn't want us to be selfish. He wants us to be there for each other. So, God extends comfort towards us and the purpose of Comfort. And let me just... Comfort is intended to be shared with others who suffer too. Listen. Don't. Don't hold back. Even if it's your enemy. Even if it's your enemy. Don't say things like, oh, well they're finally getting what they deserve. Remember now, he's the God of mercy. He showed mercy to you. He showed mercy to you and gave comfort to you. You do the same. You do the same. Why do you think our experience of God's comfort enables us to comfort other people who are suffering? Notice the question in your book. Why do you think our experience of God's comfort enables us to comfort others who are suffering? Anyone? We'll know how to react. Okay, that's good, Ken. Anyone else? Yes, Marilyn, we know how they feel because you've been there. You felt it. Maybe the circumstances might be a little bit different, but you know the feeling, the helplessness and all of that. Anyone else? Why do you think our experience of God's comfort enables us to comfort others who are suffering? Here's, the, here's, here's one way. Why it enables us is because we've seen God work in our lives and we can encourage others to look to God to bring them through what they're going through. Everybody understand? See, when you bring comfort, you're telling them it is God who will bring you through it. It is God who will bring you through it. 
Verse 5 then gives us the scope of God's uh, comfort. Look at verse 5. For as, the, for as the sufferers, sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And so here's what he's saying. Just as the sufferings we endure abound, the comfort of God abounds even more. Hey, isn't he right? It's like, wow, yeah, he's right. Just as the sufferings abound. How many of you, how many of you recognize it isn't going to end yet? Some of you have been stomping around, kicking around this earth a whole lot longer than I have. And you could say, yes, there may be periods of peace, but something's just around the corner. The sufferings abound, don't they? Don't they? The trials, the sufferings, the tribulations abound. But the wonderful thing that he says here, the scope of God's comfort is this, comfort is this, is that just as those sufferings abound, here's the wonderful thing, the comfort of God abounds even more. Isn't that wonderful? I remember we just got through with the book of Revelation. And remember in the end of the book of Revelation, when all of it's over, when all of the pain is gone, when all death is gone, and everything's gone, what does it still say? That He comforts us. So even after the stuff is done, He still comforts us. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thought. Let's go on now. The purpose of Paul's suffering. So now Paul talks about why he's suffering. Look at verse 6 now. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So here's the purpose. As Paul endured his suffering and, as, and, and is comforted, he is able to encourage them. He is able to encourage them. So as he's suffering and as he's going through what he's going through, and as he's comforted, as he's going through those things, he then is able to encourage them, the Corinthians, and you and I, because of what he is suffering for Jesus. Then look at verse 7. Notice his hope. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So, notice his hope. Paul had a hope that just as they endured suffering, they would enjoy comfort. See, I have the same hope. You know, as I see the suffering issues that I go through, and they're very real, and I experience the comfort of God in my life, I can have the same hope as Paul does, that as you suffer, as you believers in Jesus Christ suffer and go through the things that you go through, I know the comfort of God will be there for you too. Because you're not an exception. You're not the little clause at the bottom of the contract that says everything's okay for everybody else but you. No, the comfort is there for you too if you know Jesus. And so that's what Paul's saying. So then we're going to look at verse 8 through 11 real quick. Paul's affliction. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we were despised even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and so and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the gift granted to us through many. So here's what he's saying. 
First of all, his life-threatening experience. Paul reminds reminds his readers that he was almost killed for the Gospel. You know that if you read through the book of Acts, you'll remember as he's on his first missionary journey there, he's stoned and left for dead. Now, just so you understand, we're not just talking about folks just throwing a few rocks at him. It was a form of execution where they would literally stone you. Remember, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was what? Stoned. And so Paul reminds his readers that he was almost killed for the Gospel. He goes on, in fact, if you mark this down in your books, I think it's written there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1-3. to And listen to how Paul talks about when he came to them. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come in excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of Christ. For I determined to know, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Notice what he says, verse 3. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Why? Because he was facing death. He had faced death. And he was a scared man. But he was doing what God wanted him to do. So then, notice something. Paul then acknowledges God's grace. Paul points out that God had rescued him from calamity. God had rescued him from calamity. And then finally, Paul points out that his rescue was God's answer to their prayers. The reason why he was rescued is because the Corinthian believers were praying for him. He points out that his rescue was God's answer to the Corinthian prayers. And so we've got John and Marilyn Asma, who are in Ghana, who are back in Ghana. You know, we're praying for Tomo and Carrie over in Japan. We're praying for Scott Magnanella with Precious Life. And, you know, the list goes on of missionaries that you know of personally, that you have known through the years. We need to be praying for them. They need us to pray for them, don't they? Paul says his rescue was God's answer to their prayers. Pray. Pray for each other. Okay? Let's close our time.